Hello and welcome to YHTV's Trinity of Life. This is episode 44. I'm Christina Suzama, your host for this program. Thank you so much for joining me again as I continue to explore the wonderful world of healing arts, meditation, therapies, and the many modalities of helping us find balance in our individual journeys. We're always excited to meet those who are on the leading edge of creating change on this planet. At any time during this live presentation, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into the comment box right there. And click submit, and I will read your comment or question to our special guest. Or if you prefer to ask the question yourself, you are very welcome to dial in and join the chat on our conference line. The number there is 323-476-3672. Again, 323-476-3672. The ID is 607393-POUND. 607393-POUND. And during the show, you will see that flash up on screen as well. Now, our guest today is an individual who has been a part of the Yoga Hub faculty since 2011 Virtual World Yoga and Meditation Conference. He specializes in ADD and ADHD, that has been for the past 18 years or so, and he has actually continued to broaden his, um, like most of our doctors, has continued to broaden his um, areas into alternative medicine, integrative medicine, continues to support children, adolescents, and adults to find balance in their lives. I'd like us all to welcome Dr. Kenny Handelman. Thank you so much for having me, Christina. Well, thank you for honoring us again. (laughs) And for this time, it's for all the public, which is so wonderful to share you with them. (laughs) Thank you. It's exciting to be on an internet TV show. I love it. Thank you. Yes. And and, uh, you are in Canada, right? Yes, I am. Yes, good old Canada. Just outside of Toronto. Yeah. Oh, good. We have to come and visit you out there. (laughs) now how's your weather out there i know it's it's so interesting to find out what's going on in in everyone's area that they come from yeah it's not too bad you know we're sort of just above freezing right now but there's still a lot of snow on the ground so (laughs) don't laugh that hard you used to live in canada too (laughs) i know i know but i don't think we had uh on the west coast i don't think we had as strong uh winters like you do back east yeah, you're right. You're right. And but you know, hey, maybe you should be visiting us down here in LA right now. We're complaining Absolutely. at 60 degrees. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Kenny, can you share a little bit of your background with our audience? Because when you did, of course, the Yoga Hub uh conference, that was all, you know, a very uh the a very specialized audience that um mm-hmm. it was a part of the conference. Um now we're in in the main community and globally, and um, if you could share your background and sure, yeah. So, well, thank you so much for having me. So, I'm a, a psychiatrist. I went through medical school at the University of Toronto, and then went into psychiatry. And when I went into psychiatry, I started when I hit the chance to work with kids and teens. I just loved it, you know, and the opportunity to work with kids and teens, help them get their lives on track, and if they're struggling emotionally, behaviorally, psychologically, something like that. You know, I felt if I could help them early on and help them get more on track and help to support their families, it makes a big difference over the long run. So that was very meaningful for me. So I started, uh, I specialized in child and adolescent psychiatry. And ADHD is just so, um, you know, prominent and so common in child and adolescent psychiatry. So I started doing a lot of work with ADHD. Then I eventually found out that I have it myself, um, you know, after (laughs) my medical training. So no wonder I got along so well with all those kids and teens and their families, um, because I kind of related. And, you know, I participated in the Yoga Hub event a couple of years ago, uh, because working with ADHD, I really do keep open to a lot of the alternative treatments that are out there. Many physicians get their education through pharmaceutical-funded events and don't always, you know, they often just have sort of a a flat, flat answer, that any integrative or holistic approach to ADHD or any mental health problem is just, you know, there's no data, there's no research, forget about it. Well, the research has actually been climbing. So I was thrilled to join with your group a couple years ago, and now I'm thrilled to be back. The difference now is, as I've told you, I'm actually doing yoga now. So, Oh uh, my goodness, congratulations. You know, for the past two, three months. So 
now I'm now I have a whole new respect and enjoyment for yoga and uh, and that, the benefits it can bring. Oh wow, good for you, good for you. Because I I, I know that they've found it's helped people on all levels of life. I mean, you, you know, from the depression to the you know ADD, ADHD, which my gosh, it's like household words really. <laughs> it's like yeah, crazy. Well, you know, Help us here. Why has it become like that? Is people are like you know, the people throw those words around and, and it really bothers me because in the, in my world of healing arts, you know, the, the language that we use is very mm -hmm. powerful. Absolutely. You know, and, and I mean, really everywhere I turn, I hear conversations that, that, oh, it's depression. Oh, it's ADD. Oh, it's ADHD. You know, help us out with that, Kenny. What's going yep. on? Well, I think really we're in a situation where there's a lot more awareness about ADHD. And I'd like to say that, generally speaking, the people who are getting diagnosed really have the condition, okay? I'm not sure if that's 100% the case. And I'm actually a little more concerned about that in the U.S. than I am in Canada insofar as overdiagnosis. But before we get into that problem, let's just discuss what this is. So, when people have, and when we can talk about ADHD, but of course we can talk about mental health in general and other sorts of things. So, um, but when people have ADHD, essentially what's going on is there are two main areas of struggle. One is trouble with focus. So people get distracted, have trouble following through, often lose things or disorganized, a whole range of symptoms like that. And then there are symptoms about hyperactivity and impulsivity. Uh, fidgety, restless, can't sit still, or impulsive, acting without thinking, and that sort of thing. And people can have, now, everybody, of course, can get distracted, or everybody can be impulsive or, or restless. But when people have a critical number of symptoms occurring much more regularly than they should at their age of, of development, you know, whether they're 10 or 20 or 50, right? But if they have a lot more symptoms than the norm, then they are, they can be in the clinical range. People can have either just the can't focus symptoms, so that's ADHD inattentive type, or ADD, as it used to be called, or people can have just the hyperactive impulsive type, or they can have the combined where they have both. People will often say, no, I just have ADD, meaning just the not focusing, or ADHD, meaning they also have the hyperactivity impulsivity symptoms. <laughs> Does that mean I'm ADHD? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> Why? Are you fidgety and restless? Ah, I bounce on my ball all the time. <laughs> That's probably just healthy, right? <laughs> you know, it, it's a good point because everybody has some symptoms. And if anybody's going through a particular stressful time, like if a teenager's parents are getting divorced or something, mm. they may have, you know, six or seven or eight or nine symptoms. And when you're over six, it's considered a concern. But they may have it just for a short time while the divorce is going on or while there's stress and strain but they may balance out. And to have ADHD, you really have to have the symptoms for years, like going mm. back into childhood. So, you know, I feel confident that when people use the diagnosis properly, when they do a proper assessment, that we really identify people who, who actually have it and can benefit from treatment. Um, the concern is that there are doctors who do the five-minute assessment, the, oh, you're not focusing in school, here's a prescription, try some Ritalin, you know, and it, and it turns into a quick diagnosis and, and a quick prescription. And that's a big concern uh, because there's a lot of research that lots of treatments can help ADHD, including medication, but also including lots of non-medication things. And, and it's important to remember we do live in what I consider to be, you know, sort of an ADD-ogenic society, like ADD-causing society. <laughs> but, you know, we sit around with our smartphones and, you know, constantly texting and Facebook and Twitter and you know, we never sort of sit and pay close attention to something and be absorbed yes. in it for a long time. And so that can create almost a pseudo-ADD, that people are so stressed and scattered that they, they almost act as if they have ADHD. But if a proper assessment is done, most of those people don't really have it. They need to stop, get grounded, be present, and maybe, you know, not check their email every three minutes. Um, and, you know, but it's not truly ADHD. Mm, that's a great point because, I mean, we are in this whole technology age right now where, mm. I mean, people don't even look up to cross the street or walk through a parking lot. It's it's quite amazing. <laughs> it's like, yeah. hello, anybody home? <laughs> you know, you know the, the thing I find most sort of funny and disturbing at the same time is when I go into a public men's room oh, and no. I see men... No. 
standing in the john with their cell phone in one hand and busy with their other hand. You know, it's like, <laughs> can, can you not take like 30 seconds to go to the bathroom without checking your email or Twitter or something? <laughs> well, I got to tell you, I sure hope they wash those phones along with their hands. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now you've got me a little bit, uh, you know, borrowing <laughs> someone's phone or something. I'm a little bit hesitant now. <laughs> sanitize, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Yeah, it, it is it is quite disturbing and and how how I I know in the middle schools and everything how the teachers actually have to take away everyone's phones mm -hmm. at the door. It's like check in your phone and you can pick it up yeah. after class. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you for clarifying ADD and ADHD because you know that's always you know it's always a a very common uh um because when people hook into a word, they think they they know enough to be dangerous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what I say. And they just start to throw it around as like, oh, that child's got this or that person is that. And it's like, oh, you know, slow down. You know? Yeah. Um, so so you have spent so much time in that area. And uh, recently you have just gotten your certification in integrative medicine. Yes. And uh, what made you do that? What made you kind of, kind of expand in that direction? Right. So I, I recently took the American Board of Integrative and Holistic Medicine board exams and was successful, which was exciting. Um, I've been interested in integrative and holistic or alternative medicine, complementary medicine for years. Um, but I really, when I was in my training, I made a conscious choice to, you know, stick with the standard medical approach, learn what it's benefits are, you know, see what treatments for, you know, the assessment and diagnosis side, but also treatments and opportunities there. And, you know, really, I felt I've been in practice almost 13 years, and I felt like, well, you know, I pretty much have a good sense of this stuff. Um, time to go back and circle around to some of my earlier interests. And I feel, you know, the fact that I've, you know, got a book out on ADHD, I teach internationally, I speak all over the world teaching people about ADHD, and I've got my podcast and whatever. I have a bit of a platform now that, you know, establishes some credibility. So when I start talking about, you know, integrative and holistic stuff, um, that I feel people will be more accepting and willing to listen, even if they're quite skeptical. And, um, you know, it's time for me to start, you know, I wanted to learn more and time to start integrating it in what I teach and what I do. So, um, you know, I did the training and, you know, currently I'm in a hospital-based practice just outside of Toronto, and it's a little hard to start working in all that I want to do in the hospital-based clinic, but uh, I'm working on that and working on uh, changing what I do over time. Um, and it's really just about the fact that medication isn't always the answer. Um, even when you look at research within ADHD, the best research shows that medication can help but it works best when it's in combination with other strategies, particularly therapies, behavioral strategies, et cetera. And now there's starting to be research on exercise and, um, you know, healthy eating and other sorts of things. And, it, you know, it's for me, it's almost like I, I, I see sort of the paradox or the conflict of the fact that, you know, look, our great, 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 great grandparents knew that if you exercised and you ate well, that was healthy, Right. But now we need medical scientific research to tell us it's a good idea to exercise. <laughs> and then you may do better with your ADHD or your depression or your bipolar disorder or, you know, your dementia or whatever it is, right? Now that there's research and it came out on CNN last week, okay, maybe I should actually exercise, you know? So, you know, there, there's a lot of wisdom in the older approaches and uh, providing balance is really important. So, you know, that's, that's part of the reason why and why I'm thrilled to be here and share this with you. Mm, mm, wonderful. You know, it's it's always great to hear. You know, someone who's practiced, like, in a lot of in a lot of cases, allopathic medicine, what we call it, and to branch out and actually touch into those other areas because then it becomes holistic. Mm -hmm. Then it becomes holistic, and and I always say to people, you know, it's not about just the just the supplements or or this uh, right. the herbs, but now and then we do need. The pharmaceuticals, we we do. I mean, they they were created for a reason. It's about the balance. So then, it's so interesting because people no longer want to call it alternative medicine or even, well, integrative. They want to call it holistic medicine now. You know, combining everything. And and it seems like you have just ventured into that whole another area. 
Mm-hmm. Now, have, have you tested any of those strategies that you've learned uh, through the integrative medicine uh, certification? Well, starting to. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, I, I, right now in this very moment, it's a little bit of a bind because I'm in a hospital system and it's kind of, you know, I don't quite have the freedom to do in the way I'd like to and not quite ready to open up my own clinic. So a mm. little bit in limbo. Um I certainly spend a lot more time. Now, I, I want to just go back to something you said. You said it's not always about the supplements. And, you know, I want to pick up on that. I'm going to mm-hmm. interpret that slightly differently than I think how you meant it. Um, I think you meant it's, you know, it's, you know, sometimes you need medicine as well. But when I think about looking at things from a holistic perspective, mm-hmm. in a Western medical allopathic sort of Western mindset, we often say symptom A requires remedy B, right? So, you know, depression, Prozac, ADHD, Ritalin. That's sort of like the the Western medical approach. Um, but that can also happen within the complementary medicine field where, you know, headache, take this remedy. You know, menstrual cramps, take that supplement. And there certainly is benefit to that. And if people can take a, a natural approach rather than a pharmaceutical, that's certainly an advantage in many ways if it works well. At the same time, it's still very reductionistic. It's symptom A, remedy B. Mm-hmm. Well, what about... The stress level. What about you know spiritual well-being? What about relaxation, breathing, exercise, sleep, uh, you know, etc. And you know, our society and our daily habits are so out of whack that I think when we stick with remedy A, you know, problem A, remedy B, we're really being very reductionistic and not taking a broad enough perspective. So it is important to be holistic, even if you're talking about supplements. So you do need to step back and look at the bigger picture and look at where are their emotional or psychological hotspots and challenges. Um, Am I really getting the proper rest, the proper nutrition, the proper exercise? Am I grounding and breathing and, you know, getting, you know, grounded at times? So it's also important to think about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, what's very interesting is I have uh, a lot of parents who, you know, like before my son goes to school, we wake up a little earlier than most people <laughs> for the reason that we do a, a morning mile walk. And this what we call our morning mile before mm-hmm. he even goes to school, before we jump in the car and we actually have to, because school is uh, about seven or eight miles away from us. So you know, we have to jump in the car and actually drive to school. So we do our morning mile and we, 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 that's the way he starts his day. Um, and you know, a, a lot of people have said, well, that's so early, that's too early to wake up, etc." And, and I said, well, it grounds him. It, it grounds his energies. It, he gets to eat, he, we get to talk, we get to chat and it grounds that individual. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you as a psychiatrist working with children and adolescents and, I mean, my goodness, having a child yourself, so you're seeing the changes that they go through so quickly. Um, what what are some of the ways that you would recommend? Because for us to ground, it could be yoga, it could be meditation. I mean, they're out there for us if we choose. <laughs> if yeah. we choose to approach them. But how about for, um, how would parents work with their children or adolescents to help them ground? Right. I think it's, you know, what you're doing with your son is incredibly important because it's getting him active. Uh, when kids, ex- when anybody exercises, not only does it, you know, get their heart pumping better and it's good for cardiovascular health, it also boosts brain chemicals like dopamine, norepinephrine, serotonin, which are all the things that psychiatric medicines boost, right? Uh, it helps them sleep better, de-stress better, etc. But you're also creating a habit of getting up and moving. I mean, what other time in human history has it been possible to essentially take less than, I don't know, three, four hundred steps a day? You know, like <laughs> people wake up and, you know, walk to the bathroom, walk to the kitchen, walk to their car, drive, walk to the elevator and, you know, repeat that on the way home. And, you know, basically they've taken so few steps that it's like it's almost insane to suggest they wear a pedometer and try and get 10,000 steps a day. Right. Mm-hmm. And wow, you know, that's a very that, good point, Kenny, because I, 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 I never looked at it that way. <laughs> yeah, well, and, you know, really what happens, we, we live a pro-inflammatory lifestyle, right? So the food we eat, the stress levels, the pollution in the air, lack of sleep, caffeine, you know, nicotine or alcohol or other vices, and lack of exercise. It's pro-inflammatory. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, we have a ton of illnesses that are inflammatory, you know, diabetes, uh, even Alzheimer's or dementia, heart disease, etc. Mm-hmm. Anyways, coming back to your question. So your question was, what can parents do to help their kids? Well, 
It's whatever works in their family that appeals to their child as well. So for your family, you said it early that he, you know, early on in his life that he gets up and he goes for a walk and he exercises and this is part of our routine. That's outstanding because at some point it's going to get so ingrained in him that if he goes through a phase, maybe in his adolescence or whatever, where he doesn't go for a walk in the morning, it's always going to feel like that's true north. That's where I should be going and what I should be doing. Now, if parents are listening to this and their kids are 12 or 15 or 18 and they haven't done that, that's no problem. Um, but it is worth looking at getting some exercise. Now, sometimes kids love, I'm in Canada, hockey, right? Hockey teams or <laughs> soccer or soccer teams or, you know, they get involved in track and field. You know, even kids with ADHD and behavior problems often do great in karate or martial arts, uh, you know, because the, 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 they're often quite structured mm-hmm. and sensei can, you know, sort of keep them right on track and things like that. Um, but it could be bike riding or skateboarding or whatever it is. But just, I think it's worth having something in the week, a few times a week where they're up and moving and going. If it's yoga, wonderful. If it's walking, no problem. If it's hiking in the woods, if it's doing treasure hunts, whatever it is, something to get moving. I think it's worth getting uh, regular bedtime routines. And that most families do this pretty well, but sometimes people struggle uh, with their kids. But it's worth sticking to it and holding it. And if you're having trouble with your child when they're 8 or 10, when they're 14 or 16, they're going to be pushing a lot more. Mm. And the other thing is, is it's worth establishing some limits around screen time. And it's worth starting it early. Uh, I, it's so common that I see kids in my office where, you know, teenagers, where their parents say, he will be on that Xbox for eight hours every night if I let him. And on weekends, 12 or 14 hours. It's like he almost doesn't even want to get up to go to the bathroom. I've heard and, that too. <laughs> and it's, you know, like I like video games and I can get a little addicted myself. And, you know, the parents often are surprised when I can talk to their kid about Call of Duty Black Ops 2 with some knowledge. Experience. <laughs> you know, they're often, they're, they're often thinking we're going to go to the doctor. He's going to tell you to stop playing video games. They're bad for you. And instead, I'm like, well, what level are you? And what's your favorite gun? And oh, yeah, I'm only second prestige. Oh, you're fifth. Wow, you're good. You know, <laughs> the parent's jaw like hits the floor. And and then, you know, I mean, I play it because I love it. But it also gives me some credibility when I'm talking to the teen. When I say, look, it's fine to play. It's fun. But you also have to shut it off. You also have to get to bed at a decent time. You can't yell at your parents every time they tell you to shut it off and do some homework or go to sleep. You know, sometimes kids get into rages, you know, like... Mm throwing their controllers and losing their tempers. Um, And sometimes they just don't do anything. And they say, I'm socializing. Well, it's true. They have a little headset. They're talking to their friends. They're, you know, they're playing with kids they know. Um, Mm. But that's not the same as socializing, like seeing them in real life, face Mm -hmm. to face. It's Mm -hmm. not the same as going out and taking a deep breath of fresh air in green space. Well, you know, heaven forbid type of thing, right? (laughs) So... Um, and there was actually a study when I was taking the integrative uh, medicine training courses. Uh, there was a study done that looked at kids, you know, playing in a concrete playground versus kids playing in a green space. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were much more health benefits when kids were playing in a green space. Now, it was one study. There were some design flaws. But again, we come back to the sort of like our great great grandparents' wisdom get outside and, you know, be in nature. You know, like it's there's something grounding about it. So, you know, I think it's worth families looking at these things, working on them, and starting them reasonably early so you set a standard in your home. If the standard has been we don't really exercise at all and now your child is 20, um, you know, what's the chance they're going to be exercising on their own when they're in charge of themselves? A lot less than if you've established some routines that bedtime's important, nutrition's important, exercise is important. Mm, and and uh, that's so great that you're saying this because it's, it's true. I, I see a lot of parents also who are pushing their teens to do something like exercise and they themselves don't even do it. (laughs) Right. Wait a minute. How do you expect your child to want to do it when you both are sitting here on the couch on the television kind of going, you know, get on the treadmill, get on (laughs) and no one else is moving. You know, that's not fair. and, And that's been the wonderful gift. My daughter said, well, let's do yoga. And I said, well, she really wanted to do it and asked if I'd do it with her. And I said, okay, well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm interested in yoga, but okay. And, uh, you know, as it turns out, I really like it. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to do it with my daughter. And she's 13, so i got to be glad that she wants to spend some time with me. (laughs) Not sure how much longer that's going to last for. Hopefully a long time. But, you know, (laughs) there may be a few years in there where, you know, I may not be at the top of the priority list. (laughs) But how great. I mean, something Mm -hmm. in her innately told her it would be a good thing with all her hormones going at 13 Mm -hmm. and 
yeah. you know, all the, the peer pressure and everything. And she chooses oh. yoga. Oh my gosh, what a gift. And then yeah. a gift to you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it has been. Absolutely. I get yeah. a bit sore. These days, it's mostly my shoulders and shoulder blades, but yeah, it's great. Yeah, great those action. downward facing dogs, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the upward dogs. You know that, I mean? yeah. Oh, that's so wonderful to hear that. And and the great part about it, kudos to you, because you went with her. You mm-hmm. actually supported that and went, you know, whereas I see so many around going, okay, you go, I'll pay for it, you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know, I'm on my own sort of healing process. I got to get in better shape. I got to take better care of myself. And, you know, part of that is uh, bringing things into balance, you know, like the having had ADD and not knowing it for many years and, uh, you know, working really hard. And my wife's got some medical challenges and, you know, lots of stress in life. Right. And it is really important to establish some routines, uh, get some exercise going, work on diet and everything else. I'm going through it myself. I'm thrilled I'm doing it with my daughter. I mean, it's a it's a wonderful gift. <laughs> That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Kenny, this um, as as we speak, I know that uh, the time ticks and goes by so quickly. Um, you have written a book, mm-hmm. Attention Difference Disorder, which I was intrigued by the title, and I just really loved the title. I really did because you know it's it's not attention deficit disorder. You have chosen to call it attention difference disorder. Can you talk a little bit about that and why you Absolutely. chose that title? Right. So the, you know, first of all, on face value, when I'm working with families and, you know, I'm doing assessment and I say, look, your child or teen has ADHD. Oftentimes the parents will say something like, how can you say he has an attention deficit when in fact he could play Xbox for 12 hours if I let him? He can focus. He doesn't have a deficit in his ability to pay attention. Or they may say when he's reading. Or he's doing art or playing with Lego. Uh, you know, he can go on for hours. So it's not that he has a deficit in attention. He just doesn't want to focus on homework or math or whatever <laughs> it is, right? And yes, you know, <laughs> can be funny that way. But uh, <laughs> what happens is everybody loves to focus on things they enjoy and has trouble with things they don't enjoy or don't focus as well. But with ADHD, it's almost like when the interest isn't there, the, the brain doesn't prime enough and there's not enough dopamine and, and people just shut off. And so I explain that it's not a deficit in attention. It's actually a difference. It's mm-hmm. a difference in the ability to regulate attention and to pay attention consistently from one activity to the next. So when somebody doesn't have ADHD, even if they don't love math, when it's math class, they can still pay attention. But when somebody has ADHD, if they love their English teacher, they may do great in English period, and then math comes along and they may just not pay attention at all and get nothing out of it. And so it's really an attention difference. The other part about it is, I think it's really important to think differently about ADHD. You know, there's a challenge when we're telling kids that they have a disorder in their brain, um, that they are different, their brain doesn't work right, so we're going to treat them and give them pills and help them to focus better. Okay, uh, sure, but at the same time, I've never really felt comfortable with looking at a six-year-old or an eight-year-old or 12-year-old or however old. It's a little easier with an adult, but with a kid, look them in the eyes and say, you've got this disorder in your brain, it doesn't work mm-hmm. right, we're going to treat it. Well, I don't know. You know, my experience, even before I knew I had my own ADHD and, and dealing with that, but it's just people with ADHD have this incredible creativity, viewing the world differently, you know, a little bit of different brain wiring may actually be an advantage in some circumstances. So, you know, I think it's really important to think about differences rather than deficits, uh, to look at people's strengths and abilities. Now, this is not to say that ADHD is so wonderful that it's like a wonderful gift and don't you wish you had it? Well, no. Um, it's it, it can cause a lot of problems. But when people get good treatment in place, when they get the help they need and they can get the negative symptoms out of the way, they can actually tap into this creative brain of theirs and do outstanding things. You know, there are people with ADHD, there are study after study showing that in the incarcerated population, up to 50% of people in jail have undiagnosed adult ADHD. Wow. But you can also go to major universities and talk to doctors, lawyers, professors, philosophers who are at the tops of their fields who have undiagnosed ADHD. Mm. It, It can be this incredible curse or this incredible blessing. People like Howie Mandel, uh, Ty Pennington, 
I mean, the guy runs around with a megaphone and tears down a house and rebuilds it in seven days. I mean, he's got energy, right? He's got ADD. Um, Adam Levine from Maroon 5, Sir Richard Branson. There's a lot of people who've come forward and shared about their ADHD. Michael Phelps as well. Mm. And I think that's wonderful to give kids a message. This doesn't mean I've got some brain issue and I'm no good and I'm never going to be okay. Well, no, you can do outstanding things. So it's important to have a different message as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do, you, mm-hmm. do you think that will begin to change in our society the way people start to, I mean, it seems like you've started a seed of it to, mm-hmm. to say that it is a difference and not a deficit. And, you know, all these people of, you know, these high caliber faces and role models out there also have a form of it. I mean, do you feel that the, the society will begin to shift or the medical society will begin to shift and look at it in that way? I, I hope so. Um, I think having, you know, I'll, I'll tell you my blunt, honest answer about this. I, I hope so. I don't know so. Um, you know, when it comes to celebrities coming forward and sharing about it, it helps to destigmatize, And that's tremendously important. So when kids, teens, or their families are dealing with this, they're not dealing with tremendous guilt and shame related to it. They're just going about getting some treatment because, hey, if Howie Mandel has this and I have it, well, hey, that's pretty cool, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think it helps destigmatize. At the same time, we can't undermine the importance of health insurance, diagnostic codes, and payment for, mm. um, you know, for treatment and disability and medications and insurance. So to get your insurance, you got to have a, do- a diagnosis documented, right? Mm-hmm. And um, not all doctors feel like let's look for the strengths and whatever. It's like ADHD code three one four or whatever it is uh, on the ICD coding, and you know, like. Let's give you a prescription and get you on, and you'll get your insurance, and you'll get support at school. Um, there is a uh, there's a YouTube video out there by uh, I think it's Sir Ken Robinson talking about it, it was a TED talk that they did in one of those like um, drawing whiteboard videos RSA mm-hmm. animate, and he talks about ADHD in the school system and how he doesn't really believe in ADHD or thinks it's a product of the school system. And while I may not accept his whole argument, he does talk about the rate of diagnosis going up the further east you live in the U.S. So if you live in California, you have a lower chance of getting AD, getting an ADHD diagnosis for versus New York State. Mm. And, you know, he, he does it in sort of a mocking way to basically, you know, point out that isn't this a bit of a farce? Well, I was at a lecture about six months ago where an expert was talking about the different school requirements to get help. And they're much more stringent on the west, or on the east side of the country than they are in the west. So when students are struggling, their doctors say, well, if I give you the diagnosis, it's more likely you're going to get the support you need. So they are more likely to diagnose. Oh, my Where, gosh. On, on the western states, uh, they're more likely to get help even without a diagnosis. So that's probably one of the factors. I don't know if that's mm. the answer or not. So the bottom line is, you know, the medical system, the insurance payments, the uh, ability to get supports relies on a diagnosis. And there are a lot of diagnoses out there, and it's just increasing with every new rendition of the DSM-5, the ICD-10. Um, so, you know, I'd love to say that this is all going to change. I hope that people listening and watching this will help to carry that message and teach other people and, you know, and and spread the message. Like, when we talk about illness in general or disorders in general or whatever, you know, if somebody's diagnosed with heart disease, cancer, arthritis, there are some outstanding individuals who take that as an opportunity for personal growth and development to learn. Mm-hmm. And they may say, my cancer diagnosis has given me a gift of better understanding, I live in the present moment, etc. And, and that's unbelievable uh, and, and tremendous. If we look at mental health disorders, because it's in the brain, because it's connected to personality and who we think we are, like, I don't identify myself by my joints, so if I get arthritis... I have arthritis, but I identify myself with my brain and my personality. And if I've got ADHD and it interferes with that or it's involved in that, I start to take it personally. I start to identify as that. And that's much harder. So, But because it's within the brain, it can have this flip side. It can have this creativity, this viewing the world differently, out-of-the-box thinking that can be a positive thing. So I hope people take this message and share it out there and help people to realize there's myself, there's other people talking about this and sharing about more of a strength-based approach. And I think it's really important. Um, I don't like the idea that people would be down on themselves and have low self-esteem and guilt and shame related to the fact that 
their brains wired differently if that's really the cause of it for ADHD mm-hmm. or depression or bipolar or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, a question, Kenny, um, now that you've done your integrative medicine, of course, uh, I've heard that when uh, people, individuals start on the Ritalin or the Prozac, it is very difficult to wean them off of that. Is that true? Um, okay, different medicines would have different things. Mm-hmm. So if you want to talk about like the antidepressant medicines, like Prozac, Paxil, Zoloft, Lexapro, Effects, or things like that. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> what's that? I said, oh my gosh. <laughs> There's a lot of them. I mean, and that's the other thing. I mean, it is real. It is true to say that, uh, you know, psychiatric medication is multi-billion dollar industry, right? Um, So if we're talking about antidepressant medicines, um, you know, if somebody's on Prozac, it's not very hard to come off of it because it's got a long half-life. If somebody's taking Paxil or Effexor, for example, those ones have a shorter half-life. So if people, you know, come off them too quickly, they often may feel flu-like or dizzy or spacey or have kind of a withdrawal reaction. Um, so there's sort of the physically coming off the medication, but then there's also, do the symptoms come back? In my experience, working with people with depression or anxiety, if they go on medication, also hopefully therapy, also hopefully exercise and relaxation training and other things like that, um, when it comes time to come off of medication, the vast majority are able to come off, you know, about 9 to 12 months later when they're doing well, the vast majority are able to come off and there's no problem. A small percentage have a significant recurrence of their depression or anxiety. I think of this sort of like asthma. I mean, if somebody has bad asthma, let's say in the Canadian winters, playing hockey, they get asthma, they're coughing, they're wheezing and all that, they may need their puffers a lot. Mm -hmm. And then if, you know, the season changes or they're doing better, if they stop their puffer, a good percentage are going to be fine for a good long time, but a small percentage are just going to have their asthma back again and they may need their puffer again, right? So... Mm -hmm. It's the same sort of thing. When it comes to the ADHD medications, um, generally speaking, there's a small percentage of people who do um, almost develop a bit of a tolerance and the dose needs to be increased and it becomes a problem. But that's a very small percentage. Like Mm. over a decade of practice, I've probably had two or three that I've been concerned that's really happening. Um, Most of the time, people are stable with the dose. It's helpful. If people... You know, the stimulant medications, the ones that are mostly used for ADHD, medicines like Adderall, Vyvanse, Concerta, things like that, and they're sort of new improved from Ritalin. If people stop them, and many people do, people don't always stick with their medicine, obviously, they may feel a bit more tired for a couple of days because it often increases energy a little bit during Mm -hmm. the day, uh, and it may cause a little bit of insomnia, so they may feel a little more tired. Um... They may be a little more hungry because medicines can lower appetite, but generally they don't go through, you know, major withdrawals. But I will tell you, if the ADHD medicine is helping and they stop it, they don't focus well anymore and their ADHD is there. Sort of like I'm wearing these glasses to see, if I take my glasses off, my eyes are blurry still. No matter how many years I wear the glasses for, Mm. you know, like my eyes don't automatically fix themselves. And, uh, you know, for many people with ADHD, it is a lifelong thing. So... You know, for my own ADHD treatment, I take a low dose of ADHD medicine. I find it helpful. It makes a difference. Um, it does give me a little bit of side effects. It's a little bit harder to fall asleep at night, but I'm still okay. And I'm doing some exercise, working on sleep and lifestyle things as well. So, um, you know, but if by chance I happen to forget a dose, which almost never happens, I do feel a little more tired that day. But it's not like I'm going through withdrawal, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, a question had come in here uh, for you. Uh, asking, are there herbal remedies? Right. There are some. Um, when it comes to sort of, we're talking about ADHD, right? I would assume both because it's, so it seems like an overall question here. Okay. So, okay. What I would suggest is somebody's interested in that, by all means, talk to a holistic practitioner, whether it's a naturopathic doctor or, you know, a medical doctor who does this work or something like that. You know, when it comes to depression, uh, there are supplements like St. John's Worth that has reasonable data that, that it's helpful. Uh, there are other supplements like SAM-E, S-A-M-E, and uh, those that can be helpful as well. Uh, when it comes to, you know, and even for anxiety, there's L-theanine um, or inositol. Those can be helpful. Uh, when it comes to ADHD, probably the best data is for fish oil supplements, mm-hmm. omega-3 fatty acids. 
they are essential, meaning our bodies don't make them. Um, so we need to take them in with our diet or supplements. And they're mostly in fish, but most of us don't eat that much fish because we're, you know, in North America and there's concerns about mercury and all of that. So if you get a high-quality, mercury-free, omega-3 fish oil, that can be helpful. Um, better to have more EPA than DHA. Um, those are the active ingredients. And if you go to a pharmacy or a natural food store with some supplements, usually you can see omega-3 for heart or joints, and those usually have more DHA than uh, EPA. And then if you go to the ones for brain, usually they have more EPA. So how is that regulated, though? Is that in the, do they regulate it in the fish oil itself? Like How much is in it? Yes. Like how are they they able to balance the the difference between the two? Like one that is better for your joints and one that is, you know. So, well, I mean, that's mostly marketing, right? Um, But it's, it relates to the fact that they, to get the fish oils, they have to process it from the fish, right? Then they have to extract the, uh, you know, the mercury and any contaminants, and you want to get one that's pharmaceutical grade and and has had that sort of work done. And then um, they can put together the formulation they want. And the tricky thing about omega, about fish oils or omega-3s is when you look at the pill bottle, it'll say a thousand milligrams per pill, but you have to flip it on its side and read the label because it may be a thousand milligrams for the whole pill, but it may only have a hundred milligrams of EPA and 50 milligrams of DHA, or vice versa. Mm. Excuse me, the research for ADHD suggests that people need between 800 to 1,000 milligrams of the active ingredients per day. So, and, and you need to take it for three to six months to get the benefits. So, you know, if you're taking one of those weaker ones that doesn't have a lot, you're going to need to take like eight or 10 pills, or, you know, five or eight pills a day. If you get a higher concentration one, then you can get the benefits. So they can sort of put it together. And research shows DHA is better for joints and heart. Uh, EPA is better for brain. One last comment, just because, you know, sometimes uh, vegetarians don't want to have fish or fish oils. Um, There are vegetable sources of omega-3s like flax. The issue is they are a shorter chain fatty acid, and they can only get into the brain if an enzyme in the body expands that, adds a little chain to it, so it becomes a long-chain fatty acid. And interestingly, there's been at least one study that showed that boys with ADHD have less of that enzyme compared to boys who don't have ADHD. So it's probably worth for ADHD, assuming your diet and beliefs allow it, to take actual fish oils rather than the vegetable source. The vegetable sources are very healthy. They're anti-inflammatory. They're good for the heart and the joints and health overall. Probably good for the brain, too, insofar as dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, but when it comes to ADHD, you know, it's it's better to have the fish oils themselves. That's really interesting. Now, with the flax oil, does it also have the balance of the EPA and DHA? Um, you know, that's a great question. I don't know the answer. I think, I know it has both. I mm-hmm. think it may have, it may actually have more, I think it's ALA. Oh. Uh, which your body then converts. I'd have to go back and look at the science. It's one of those sort of biochemistry, uh, you know, diagrams where, you know, ALA gets converted to this, gets converted to that and broken down. Um, uh, but I think, I think it's more ALA and maybe a little more predominance of DHA. I'm not hundred percent. I'd have to double check. Interesting. But our bodies, our bodies naturally don't actually t- take it in, absorb it in as well as a fish oil. To get into the brain. Correct. Now, you know, I think if, people want to take flax or want to take a, a, a vegetable-based one, it's still anti-inflammatory, it's still good for you, it's still healthy, and that may improve ADHD. Mm-hmm. But if you actually look at randomized controlled trials where people got either fish oils or a placebo and they didn't know which they were getting, um, omega-3s fish, fish oils have data that they're helpful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is that interesting? As I was growing up, uh, my father believed in cod liver oil. Right. And not in a pill form in those days. <laughs> right. Well, and, and the oils are better absorbed and you'll get more out of them. Um, the issue is, if you're talking about the liver of a cod, what does most of the detoxifying for our bodies? That's our right. livers, right? So if the cod's floating around in some river or ocean with a lot of pollution, it's going to concentrate and accumulate in the liver. So. Mm-hmm. 
Um, if you were going to take cod liver oil now, I'm not saying you are, you know, that's your story, but if you're, if somebody was going to take it now, you'd really want to make sure it's gone through stringent testing from a reliable source that you've cleared the pollution out of it. Yes. Yes. Well, if, with everything now, including our food, our vegetables, we have to be so, I mean, yeah. you can only be cautious to a certain point, but still, you know, it's, it's, yeah. uh, well, well, let me, t- let me tell you something about food. You know, there was a big study or no, actually, right around the time I went to this integrative uh, medicine training course, there was a news report on one of the major news, you know, CNN or whatever, that a study showed um, organic foods had no increased nutritional value compared to conventional foods. And they went on to say how the marketing had done it and it was what a waste of money and everything else. It's like they forgot about the fact that the organic organic foods don't have all the extra chemicals and pollution. That's the main reason to look at organic <laughs> foods. And um, there is an organization, I'm just, I know I talked about cell phones, but I want to find this for a reason. There, There is actually an app for that. Um, there is an organization that looks at um, foods that are a problem that have a lot of pollution, mm-hmm. and they publish the, um, the Dirty Dozen. Oh, it's not the EWP, is it? Yes, that's it. EWPs. Oh, they're great. Right. So, yes. you know, for families that are, you know, not sure about going fully organic or whatever, if you're looking at what you can do, and there's an app, right? I have it on my Android right here. It's the Dirty Dozen. And <laughs> it lists, you know, so apples. And, you know, of course, the ones that were at the top of those were all the ones I love the most, right? Oh, so no. Apples, Which Celery, bell peppers, peaches isn't my favorite, but strawberries. Out of those top five, four were mine. So as soon as I found this out, it's like organic only for apple, celery, bell peppers, and strawberries, right? Also grapes, lettuce, cucumbers, blueberries. I mean, I was like eight of the top 12 were my top favorites, right? And far better to spend an extra couple dollars and not start accumulating a whole bunch of chemicals in your body. Like our bodies weren't designed to be filtering and dealing with all the chemicals in our environment that we're doing now that we throw at our bodies. So, mm-hmm. you know, you could go full organic. Not everybody's able to financially or lifestyle-wise, but if you get the list of the dirty dozen and try to avoid those, that can be helpful. Oh, absolutely. You know, here, I think you need to move to L.A. (laughs) If those are your... (laughs) If you don't need organic and... It'll be perfect. <laughs> it, it is magnificent. Or or also, um, here they have organic, and then they have the pesticide-free as well, which is okay. you know, is equal in that manner uh, to right. us out here. Um, but, you know, of course, as you know, the greens and the the, the fruit that is out here, yeah. it's magnificent. And yeah. I'm, I'm very much of, of a fruit person, so I'm a frugivore, I think. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, you know, all the blueberries and the raspberries and the strawberries, I mean, they're basically almost year-round. So, yeah. you know, see, you have to move out here. <laughs> uh, um, but, you know, what people have really started doing is growing their own vegetables, that's what mm-hmm. they've really started to do because then they're certain it's the organic right. soil, um, uh, heirloom seeds, organic heirloom seeds from, you know, so, so that tomatoes actually taste like tomatoes again. <laughs> <laughs> shocking. You know, it is shocking. It is shocking. So, so um, I, I think that's another way. Cause I, I do believe, I think my family is also starting to grow their vegetable gardens and everything mm-hmm. in, in Canada, you know, though it's different. Mm-hmm different uh, uh, kinds of vegetables, but but you really, when you think of it, it doesn't take a lot mm-hmm. to feed a family if you're eating right. And that's what I've noticed. You know, from the times and growing up with the refined foods, I was talking to somebody about, you know, do you remember those, oh, well, maybe it's before your time, those Pop-Tarts and Oh yeah, things like that. You know, you know, just pop it in the morning. You're going to school with this really high fructose. It's <laughs> <laughs> just full of refined wheat, sugar. You know, glaze. I don't. You know, and they and then they'll say like two essential vitamins and minerals or something, right? right. That makes it good. <laughs> right, right. You know, and I mean that's the era I grew up in, and yeah. you know, to shift from that into where where I'm at now, it's amazing how. Because when your food sources like your vegetables or your meat is cleaner and you are, you know, taking in more grains instead of white rice, it's like a brown rice or quinoa, which has become 
more and more popular now. Mm. When you're taking in the grains, you actually don't end up eating as much. Right. And you don't get hungry 90 minutes later the same way you did. Correct. And Mm -hmm. so I find that our food bill is actually getting less so that we can afford the organic. We can afford, you know, to go to the market and pay a little higher price for fruit that was picked yesterday, for eggs that were actually collected today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. It, It is. It is because we find that we really don't end up eating as much as we used to. And grain really cooks up in a whole different manner. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a little hint for those who might be considering to move towards that area. It's not that, yeah. it's not that much more expensive in the long run. Yeah. And it saves on the doctor's bills, I must say. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, you know, that's the ultimate thing. And, you know, the unfortunate thing is most people wait until a catastrophic medical illness till they start to take care of things. Yes. And really, what develops the catastrophic medical illness? It's really day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade of not taking enough care. You know, it's so yes, little changes, Mm -hmm. choosing four or five of the foods off the dirty dozen list and getting them organic or pesticide free can make a difference. Mm -hmm. Eating more grains instead of refined sugars, um, you know, exercising regularly makes a big difference. So, so between all that, I mean, um, you recommend for your clients, uh, your patients, your clients, and and those out there who are listening, it, it's really about, on all levels, is what we call, you know, the balance of body, mind, spirit. Because I also yes. heard you mention that word, you know, the spiritual practice, mm-hmm. um, which doesn't, I always have to clarify that, because a lot of people think that means a religion. Right. You know, an organized religion, which a spiritual practice you know, uh, is not that. <laughs> it is a right. practice. <laughs> right. So you recommend that now to your patients and clients? I do. I talk about, uh, you know, lifestyle insofar as diet, um, sleep, exercise. Insofar as the spiritual side, I'm not always addressing that with the teens I'm working with in that, but I do think it is important, you know, and many families do think of it as, are we going to church? Well, for some people, going to church is a spiritual experience, and for some people it isn't. And you know, it may just be about who has the nicest dress or the nicest car out front of the building. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so, you know, and I'm not trying to criticize anything or anybody, right? I mean, yes. but it is ultimately about one individual's spiritual connection to their creator or the higher power or whatever they believe in. And having that sort of practice is important. So I do like to discuss the whole holistic thing. I mean, certainly there are times where we're talking about, do we need to just adjust a medication? You know, is, is this too many milligrams or not enough milligrams? Um, but it is also important to look at the context of screen time, exercise, food, diet, you know, et cetera. So I do like to, and I encourage everybody to, to think about those things for balance overall. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's wonderful to hear you say that because uh, so often it's like, well, here's your medication and... Right. See me in a week or see me in a month and we'll adjust it if you need adjusting yeah. then, you know, as opposed yeah. to encouraging, uh, you're, you know, really, that's what I keep hearing from you. You're so encouraging um, your approach. It's, it's magnificent. Well, thank you. Uh, so as, as uh, we have a few more minutes left, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience, Kenny? Um, I'll share a couple of other sort of more non-medication approaches around ADHD, Mm -hmm. um, and that relates to um, neurofeedback um, and CogMed working memory training. So there are a couple of things out now. So neurofeedback is essentially a biofeedback process where the practitioners put electrodes on the brain, or on the head, rather, not on the brain, on the scalp, (laughs) measure (laughs) measure brain electricity. And essentially what happens is when we're alert awake and paying attention, our brainwaves are very quick. Um, When we get into deep relaxation or daydreaming, our brainwaves slow down a lot. And people with ADHD, when they're supposed to be quick with thinking, they may actually be quick and dip down into the slower brainwave pattern. So neurofeedback is a process where people go for multiple sessions, it can be 30 to 40 sessions, and they get trained almost in an unconscious way, like a biofeedback process, to take their brainwaves from being slow and bring them up to focus when they need them to be in focus. Uh, So there's more and more research being done on that. 
different communities have, you know, either a lot of practitioners or no practitioners, you know, people have to research it and look for it. But it is a great natural approach to help people without medication, or it can be done with medication, and people can often lower their dose of medication. So that's one thing. Uh, another that's interesting is is CogMed, C-O-G-M-E-D. And that's a software program that's been researched to improve working memory. Now, working memory is an executive function, and executive functions are, are the highest level thinking and planning skills that we use. And it's often a challenge for people with ADHD or other conditions. It can be an issue for people with memory problems or depression or even medical illnesses if they're feeling quite sick. And so their working memory is holding a little bit of information in your mind to problem solve. And so this program, you know, people see it through a, a practitioner who's trained to do the research, to do the work in the same way the research has it. And essentially it's a software program done on the computer at home, 30 to 40 minutes a day, five days a week for five weeks. And there's been measured improvement in working memory and to some extent, focus and functioning. So those are some other things that can be options. Um, you know, like, I always think, what are the side effects, right? I mean, if somebody's taking a medication, there's a chance that there's headaches or stomach aches or not sleeping or other things like that. Um, when somebody's using something like neurofeedback or CogMed, they're not really going to get stomach aches or trouble sleeping, um, probably not going to get headaches from it, but they do have to spend time and they do have to spend money. And even if a treatment works 90% of the time, if you're in the 10% it doesn't work for, most of the time you can't get a money-back guarantee. So people need to do their research and be aware of it. Ask the tough questions. Um, ask for research-based material, not just testimonials that where people talk about how great it was with their child. That's useful and helpful, but it's even better if you can see that there's research done in peer-reviewed journals proving the treatment helps. But if you gather all your information and say, you know what, I'm willing to invest the time and invest the money because I think this may help, it's worth considering and trying those treatments. Um, hey, tell me, is there uh, groups like um, that they would be testing certain, certain exercises on that people could get involved with? Like when you, they're doing you the, our, the study period? Are people, could people get into clinical trials yes, for Yes, clinical for trials. This? Um, it would really depend locally what's going on. I mean, most medical schools do have some, um, you know, some researchers, but, you know, I know in Toronto, there's nobody doing research in, you know, University of Toronto is one of Canada's biggest medical schools, whatever. There's nobody doing research on neurofeedback, for example. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure, you know, like, people would have to see, they'd have to connect with local resources. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And see what's out there. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Kenny Handelman. <laughs> You're just thank a you wealth of information. I know that there's certain areas that you could go on and on about as well. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I love supporting your community. And thanks for all the great work you do. Oh, thank you so much for honoring us. And uh, I would like to uh, let our audience know um, uh, to contact Dr. Kenny uh, Handelman, his website is drdrkenny.com, -E where you can also follow his blog. His Twitter handle is at drkenny, D-R-K-E-N-N-Y. And his Facebook is also, but full name, Dr. Dr. Kenny Handelman, spelled H-A-N-D-E-L-M-A-N. So it's Dr. Kenny Handelman. And he also has a podcast, which is really wonderful. And uh, we definitely uh, would suggest you have a listen. And that is ADHDpodcast.com. And if you have a moment to check out his book, Attention Difference Disorder. And that's one book that I would really like to read because, I, you know, I have a just by the way you titled it, Kenny, I have to tell you, it. it for me, it crosses, it's not just about the, you know, ADD. Mm -hmm. You know, just by reading the title, I went, oh, that's going to be such a good book. Thank <laughs> you. And of course, I would like to thank each and every one of you for joining us on this new platform of education and information. We are grateful for your continuous support and look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can support you better. 
We invite you to join us live on Tuesdays for Magical Medical Tour at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1.30 Eastern Time. Wednesdays for Trinity of Life at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, followed every other week with Flowing Into Awareness with Anatara. And until next time, namaste. Namaste.